Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He's breaking it down, so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with Candace DeLong. She is a retired FBI criminal profiler profiler and uh she's uh internationally known as a homicide expert and she returns with season two of a great podcast killer psyche and uh, she is um she's great she's as good as they come when it comes to true crime and what's going on uh out there and she touches on so many different cases that i i think uh don't get the coverage they deserve but candace how are you i'm well thank you for having me on your show so uh, you have a year to reflect, or at least a season, I should say, to reflect on. Uh, any Anything standing out in your mind from, from last year or last season that you're either looking forward to following up on or, um, or, or that you'll never do again? Uh, a- any lessons learned from the first season uh, for you? Yeah, it, well, it's a whole new thing for me. Um, it was in the beginning, it was very stressful because I, that's not the kind of thing I was familiar with that I had I experienced, you know, talking into a microphone and, and recording and scripts and, and, re, you know, it was kind of new to me, although the, all the crime stuff I've had in my head for years. Um, and so this is after a while, um, all that, uh, anxiety went away. I, one of my favorite things. Frank is talking to people about crime and there's something to be learned for anyone watching a TV show about it or listening to a podcast um, like mine. We do, we do a deep dive into the psyche of the killer and there's something to be learned to keep you and your family safe. Maybe some things you never would have thought of before you heard that podcast. You know, wait a minute. If I get run off the road, if somebody's deliberately trying to run me off the road, should I get out and confront the person? Should I roll my window down? Um, and then I tell a story of uh, exactly, that is exactly what happened on a case I worked on when I was an agent in Chicago. A woman run off the road at uh, 2.30 in the morning, and the guy locked her car in front, gets out and walks towards her. And she rolled her window down said, what the hell are you doing? And that window was her barrier, and she rolled it down. So listening to that story, you know, a lot of people, there's something to take away from there. Like, wow, if that ever happened to me, I'm going to stay in my car. I'm not going to roll the window down and um, try to back up and get out of there. So, And, and Frank, that's kind of the only reason I do this anymore, because um, it's been 50 years. Uh, and, and the reason I do it is people can learn. And stay safe. 
Yeah. No, it's a, I, I'm very grateful that you uh, do engage in this. Uh, I listen to you, and you, I think you're absolutely terrific. And uh, we, uh, everybody Thank I've you. ever told you about, and when we had you last time, everybody who chimed in afterwards said, but she is absolutely great. And and you would imagine you would know more about uh, the psyche, the uh, the uh, the inner workings of the mind of killers, um, because of where you came from with the uh, with the FBI and all the training and all the experience you had. Is there anything that covering it from this angle, covering it as a host, and obviously got it's got to, it's got to be interesting, it's got to be this. Uh, did you learn anything new about? A, a, a killer's psyche doing it from this standpoint as opposed to, to doing it from the FBI standpoint? Well, because of the podcast, um, I've learned a lot. And I have learned, pardon me, I have learned more about the motivation of killers since I retired from the FBI than I learned while in the FBI. And part of that is because of the proliferation of true crime books and and TV shows and, and podcasts and things like that. And I'm still learning. One of the things I learned, um, to your point, was I had no idea that the vast majority, well, I had some idea, but that the vast majority of serial killers and like spree killers or or shooters like we experienced over the past month had terrible terrible parenting terrible childhood un- unbelievable things happen to them that can you imagine how bad a kid's life has to be at home for him or her to run away at 10 11 years old that living on the streets is preferable to living at home. And we do, of course, a lot of that. <laughs> Most people that come from bad parenting do not become killers. But almost all serial killers did come from bad parenting. And there's an endless supply of it, sadly. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's interesting when you lay it out like that. Let me ask you about uh, listener input. And, uh, you know, I, I know it's... Uh, it, it's it's there's a big difference between being official and uh, you know being with the FBI, being with the feds, being with uh, you know even a DA's office as a prosecutor, investigator, uh, detective investigator uh, with the PD. I, sometimes you're I would imagine you'd be much more guarded with information you get from the outside or you get online or whatever. Is that the case? As an FBI agent that you, you try to block out and you disregard uh, theories that, uh, that you know, could germinate from God knows who, you know, sitting in their mother's basement, you know, coming up with these theories. But as a podcaster, as a radio show host, do you look at things differently uh, from those kind of sources? Well, we try. I have the best research team in the world. I mean, truly, that uh, they have found documents. We have a, an episode that um, dropped, I think, last Tuesday, and it's called the Blood Countess, and it's, it's a woman that was a countess in Hungary in the 1500s, and we found court documents, and she was she killed way over, way over two or three hundred people, um, and so we try to. The first 
first part of the episode, the first part of each episode is the details of the crime and, and everything that we could absolutely document. We don't speculate. If, we, if on occasion I do speculate, I say, okay, what I'm about to say is speculation. There's no way of knowing it. But as an FBI, you know, you touched on something um, that is very important. Uh, when working on a case, let's say a murder, it's very important to not develop a theory and then pursue that theory. What What is important is to pursue evidence and go where the evidence leads you. I have seen detectives and FBI profilers go astray when they develop a theory about something. And then they, there is a tendency, it's called confirmation bias, and it exists in, in science and all kinds of things. If you find, you have a theory, and if you find something that supports that theory, you're biased, and, and you include that. And it's a, a piece of evidence or a fact uh, doesn't fit your theory, you discard it. And that's not how to investigate a murder or any crime. Go where the evidence takes you. Candace, congratulations on on a wonderful career with the FBI, but uh, also a, a great season, season one, and we're looking forward to season two. Uh, can you give us your social media sites and websites and anything else we should know? Um, there is a, uh, a Facebook page, I believe, on Killer Psyche, and and um, I don't do a lot of social media. We'll find you. As you can imagine. Yep. <laughs> Well, well, listen. We'll find you. Congrats on everything. Great job on the uh, on the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks. Take care. Candace DeLong, everyone. Killer Psyche and Wondry. Killer Psyche, and you could uh, you could find her Psyche for those who don't know. The spelling is uh, P S Y C H E. Candace DeLong was a uh, a long time career FBI criminal profile and she's worldwide known as a homicide expert she said a couple of very interesting things there uh, that and you know kind of sum sum it up and I guess we would assume this but when you hear it from someone like her and it's summed up it, the the first thing uh, very important is uh, you don't want to come up with a theory and that's what that's what people on online do. They come up with a theory and then they try to get information to back it up. You know, you go where the evidence leads you, and uh, and, and you try to do that. Uh, the other point, uh, and and it ties into it, is is confirmation bias. The the other thing that stood out to me about uh, about what Candace DeLong just said is, uh, you know, it exists. It, it exists in. in Science and what that basically means is that we have our opinions on issues, whether they're political or, or you know, this, you know, theories on um, conspiracies and so forth. That we come up with these theories, and then we search for evidence, we search for information that back up these theories. So we're not really looking to be educated on it. We're uh, we're looking to confirm our beliefs that already exist. So anyway, Frank McKay signing off. Candace DeLong has been our very special guest. She's the host of uh, season one and now season two of Killer Psyche. And, you know, just Google that and you'll you'll find the spots that, that it airs. Wondry, Killer Sp- uh, Psyche. Frank McKay signing off. Candace DeLong has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on... 
breaking it down. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. You know his work as an actor. And I'll tell you what, he's a funny guy, he's a terrific actor, and uh, he's built a resume uh, that's so enviable. Uh, The Office, uh, Kick-Ass, Hot Tub, Time Machine, uh, uh, Two and a Half Men, it it goes on for a long, long clock, and Michael goes on for a long time. But if I'm Clark Duke right now, I am very proud of what I just did. He directed and wrote Arkansas, and it's terrific. It is a must-watch, and it would have been... I'd, I'd be telling you what theaters to see it in now, but because of quarantine, check it out on Apple and, uh, and and a bunch of other places, Amazon. I'll give you the whole list when we're done with Clark, but I'd have to be very proud of this film. Clark Duke, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you so much. That's a that's a very nice introduction. Uh, well, it's true, right? You've got you've to look back. A lot of work went in this. This isn't just acting. You know, obviously, you, you play Swin in it. And you're terrific. Uh, but it, it, this is your baby. This, I, I, I'm assuming this is your baby. Yeah, very much so. I, I, um, I'm from Arkansas. Um, I, I've been trying to make this movie for about 10 years since I read the book. Um, and I've been wanting to direct my entire life. Um, went to film school. Kind of thought that was going to be more the career path I had as an adult, to be honest, was writing and directing. But um, it's, I've been very, very blessed to have the, the acting career, and that's what everybody knows me for. Um, but, but yeah, this is, this is very much a labor of love, like, like most indie films, um, and, a, and a long road. So it's, it's fun for people to finally see it. Yeah. I, you know, without spoiling, can you summarize it? And I don't want to spoil it, and, and I've got a whole bunch of people listening that are going to see it, I know. Um, can you summarize without spoiling? Yeah, it's tricky. That's kind of the trickiest part. Yeah. Um, it, it basically, Liam Hemsworth and myself play these two low-level uh, drug runners that work for uh, this regional drug kingpin named Frog, the guy that they've never met. And we screw up so bad that that uh, he has to come find us. That's that's the least spoiler, <laughs> right. most vague uh, yeah, version I, I can give. I I, I, I could give more, but I'm afraid to spoil. I'm not going to get accused of spoiling. But let me tell you, it's terrific. It is a must watch for everyone. You got great uh, great response coming out of what? What was it? South by Southwest? Is that where you debuted it? Yeah, we were supposed to premiere at South by, um, which obviously got canceled, which was pretty devastating for me. You know, just as a first time director and a Southern guy, I'm yeah. from Arkansas, so for me, like. South by is where I wanted to premiere, and I know the movie would have played so well there. So that that's a bummer. Um, and, but the and reviewers not, no, got, to got to see it anyway. An audience. Yeah. 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 No, it's um, it's been it's been really positive so far, which you know makes me uh not want to go hide in my room. So that's nice. Yeah, I, I guess it would be. You know, again, I guess it would be. Uh, uh, extra special not to get slammed on this one. It's one thing to act in something, and then it, you know it's uh, it, you can say, oh well, it's not that you would do this, but it's the director, or it's the it's the writer. This one is you, right? And and, and, and I'll <laughs> right. tell you what, this is uh, I, you know this is something 
I, I, I'm telling you, I think this is a game changer for you. And things have been going so nicely for you. And, and you've been getting on this roll. And you got real hot there over the last few years. And it's just really, really going well. I, I think this is a game changer. Uh, are you uh, experiencing that yet? Or because of the quarantine, is that kind of put everything on the skids? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, basically the whole industry is just on hold right now. Like, I don't, I don't. You know, somebody asked me, "What are you doing next?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't. I don't know what anybody's <laughs> doing right now. Like, I don't know if we can shoot anything this year. You know, like, because I, I mean, there's there's no way to keep six feet apart on a on a movie set. I mean, you got a hundred people crammed in a room together. Whether you or if you're filming in a car, you got it's like a clown car. You know, you got twelve people crammed in there. So I, I don't know. I don't know what anybody's doing. But it's it's a surreal time to release the movie. I mean, it, it's certainly not what we planned, but um. Yeah, it's 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 everything you said, man. I mean, tomorrow's my birthday too. The movie's coming out on my birthday, so it's uh, yeah. wow. it's, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with every possible emotion right now. Yeah, well, listen, be proud of yourself because it, it is good. It is absolutely, it's absolutely oh, terrific. So and, and, and I know a lot of people are waiting to talk to you. I won't keep you too long, but I, you know, I, I do want to say this. You know, when, when you talk about everything's on hold, there's no way you could make this movie with the uh, with the current situation. You can't make anything. You can't kiss. You can't hug. You can't fight. You can't yeah. shake hands. You can't huddle. You can't. I'm talking about the scenes themselves. Uh, what are you doing? And again, not to ask the cliche thing, but what are you doing to get through this? Are you doing a lot of writing? Are you are, are you motivated to do the writing now, or did you kind of take this as a as a little break time because you've been working a lot? You know, a, a little of both. I mean, there's there's days where um, you know I have been, I have been writing. Um, me and my brother both are, are writers, and we've um, got two or three scripts ready to go. Like I said, I don't know anybody can make them or, or get back to it, but. I find it I find it weirdly hard. It's like you got all this free time, but there's something just like the the looming anxiety. Of the whole thing. I, I, to be honest, I find it hard to be productive during this whole quarantine. Yeah, you know the one thing that, that I thought of when I was interviewing someone, uh, you know, another actor is that maybe an opportunity here during this time because we're supposed to be watching and we're supposed to be you know watching films and TV shows is, are, are things that were made a while ago and for whatever reason just didn't get the distribution. Now I you know I imagine somewhere along the line people are going to be looking for new content and the only new content are things that are shot before. Do you fall in any of those categories? Do you have anything that you were in? that you think, uh, you know, didn't get picked up for some reason, and now maybe it's going to get picked up? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't off the top of my head. I can't think of anything that hadn't aired. But, um, I mean, like I said, this was not our plan, the release during a quarantine. But it, my only hope is, like you said, everybody's already watched Tiger King and they got to find something <laughs> to watch. Well, listen, congratulations. It's terrific. You should be very proud of yourself. And somewhere along the line, when this whole thing is uh, is done, trust me, people are going to be talking about this. It's a must-watch. I'll give all the distribution points when once we let you go. Uh, Clark, give me a, a website or a social media site where people could follow along with you and Arkansas. I'm on uh, Instagram, at Clark Duke, just my name. Way to go. Uh, listen, happy birthday. Try to enjoy it. Hang in there, but be very proud of this. It's terrific. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Clark Duke, everyone. This has been our very special guest, and I, I kid you not, this is a terrific film. It's a must-watch. Uh, it's uh, it's called Arkansas, and it's based on the, the novel. 
Hold on. Where is he? John Brandon. It's a Br John Brandon novel. I, I didn't even know Clark was from Arkansas. Uh, no wonder he's been trying to make it for 10 years. But if you watch it, uh, Vince Vaughn's in there and Liam's, uh, Liam Hemsworth. And uh, it's uh, he clocks in it. It's good. It is. It is very good. It's dark. It, it's funny. It's uh, it's sarcastic. Um, yeah. I, again, they they released it to all the folks that were going to South by Southwest, and they got the reviews coming out of there. And uh, yeah, he didn't get the audience, but he got the reviewers. And some of the some of the reviews are like. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's good. You know, almost like they were hoping that it wasn't good or they were expecting it not to be good. And I, that's unfair. I mean, he's, I, you know, he's gotten so much great work over the years. Uh, you saw him in The Office. You saw him in Kick-Ass. You saw him in Hop Tub, uh, Time Machine, Two and a Half Men after Charlie Sheen. And who knows, maybe that's where some bias comes. You know, they're like, oh, you know, he got picked up after that. But I'll tell you what, he has put together such an incredible career. He was with Michael Sarah in Clark and Michael, and, uh, you know, it was, it was 10 episodes, but he was just very good in that. I, he looks like such a young guy, and he plays such a young guy that you, you think he's only been around for a little while. He's He's been trying to make this film for 10 years. Uh, again, you can see it on Apple, Amazon, Blu-ray, DVD, and it's all coming out, uh, you know, on on his birthday, on demand. And again, it's called Arkansas. Uh, Vince Vaughn's in there. You know, he's—I don't want to spoil, but he's the—he's he's, uh, he's, uh, he's Frog. He plays Frog in that, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But Liam Hemsworth is uh, is Clark's partner in crime, and uh, it's about drug dealing and and, and so forth. Uh, it's. You're gonna like it. It's uh, it's it's dark, and if you like uh, crime drama, and uh, you're gonna enjoy that. If I, I think if you like Breaking Bad, you're gonna like it. I think if you like uh, The Wire, you're even gonna like it. And it's a different attitude than both of those shows, but it still has, uh, you know, it has that edge to it. It has the the drug aspect to it, the the criminal element, obviously. And again, it's hard. There's a couple of you know, there's a couple things in there. I, it, it's just, I, I'm trying to be careful not to uh, not to spoil it. But I do want everybody to check it out. I know several people have told me they're going to check it out on my recommendation. Uh, so I don't want to spoil that. But again, Clark Duke, you've seen him all over the place. And uh, it says this is a directorial debut. I know he's done some TV shows in the past, but this is his first full length. Uh, directorial uh, effort, and I, he did a great job. I mean, I'm telling you, he did, did an absolutely great job. He's a talented dude, and he is uh, has been our very special guest. I, you know, I hope, um, uh, you know, I hope, <laughs> I hope he gets through this quarantine uh, like the rest of us with, uh, you know, with with a, a positive feel towards it. But boy, this has to be very upsetting you know it was, it was due for a huge release you know keep in mind who's, who's in it Hemsworth and Vince Vaughn you know it was going to get a tremendous distribution and all of a sudden a just screeching halt everybody uh, gets called to a screeching halt and 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 you know now it's on demand and so forth but Arkansas is a great flick check it out Clark Duke has been our very special guest he's not only one of the stars but he's the director and the writer of the film as well check it out Frank McKay signing off we'll see you next time on Breaking It Down 
Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Joe Gatto. And you know him from Impractical Jokers and so many things. But uh, his stand-up is absolutely terrific. And you could see him. You could see him on August 11th uh, here in the Hamptons, East Hampton to be specific. The Clubhouse Hamptons, uh, it's a must-go-to, everyone. Uh, check them out there. You could uh, go to the website. I think it's cannoliproductions.com. You go there and you find out about meet-and-greets and everything. Got to buy a ticket to get to the meet-and-greet, though. Everyone go. I'll see you guys there, and we'll be talking about it after we let them go. But without further ado, Joe Gatto, how are you? I'm very good, my friend. How you doing? Uh, doing great. And uh, it's uh, it's nice to see comedy coming back live, and uh, you know maybe it's uh, maybe it's not new to you, but to to a lot of people now, uh, it feels like it's a, a normalcy, um, a return to normalcy. So, uh, how are you how are you liking it so far? Oh, for sure, it's so great to be out in front of people, and make them laugh again. It's been so hard not to be able to get that interaction in front of people. So it's been really great to get out in front of the fans and see them and, and laugh together during these crazy times because we all need it for sure. <laughs> I, I, listen, we do. And uh, if you can, give us a little bit of your give us a little bit of your history of stand up. When was the first time you got up there in front of uh, people and kind of you know no net? Just you and and the folks. How long ago did you start? Yeah, that was. It's been pretty interesting. So I had been, I had been performing live with the boys, you know, for the past seven or eight years. Yeah. Um, but the first time I was did my solo stand up show was actually the beginning of this year, the end of January. So just about seven months ago. Um, and it's been such a cool, crazy ride to develop this part of my my comedy and be the only guy up there, you know. Because when I was up there with the, the, the team there, I only had to be 25% of the funny. <laughs> now you're, it's all up to you. So um, it, it's definitely a, a big, uh, it was a big transition, but now I'm absolutely loving it. I get to really get to know the audience and they get to know me in a different way where I get to tell stories about, you know, fatherhood and, and what it's like, uh, you know, for me growing up and talk about the show where they know me from. And it, it's just really a really cool ride. You know, I've seen videos of you. You're laugh out loud, funny. You're terrific. Look, looks like you've been doing it forever, and and I guess it and I guess it ties in. You know, being with the troop, and you just kind of minus a couple of uh, couple of guys, and uh, and but you're out there. But it is. It is different, and I know somebody who saw you in part, and they said you were just—you absolutely killed it. Uh, how much different is it? Is it, uh, you know, you, you have those other guys, and you like you said, you know, just 20, 25 uh, percent of the funny, but uh, it—it's it, a much different dynamic, is it not? Being part of an ensemble and being out there, yeah. you're out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because up there when you're you're doing, you're basically taking a turn, right, with the other guys when you're up there doing your, everybody tells their stories, tells their jokes. It's a, it's a symphony, you know, and now you're doing the, the guitar solo. So it's a little bit of a, a different dynamic. And I have the freedom to interact with fans, uh, you know, 
one-on-one because I have an improv background too. So, you know, if something, if I start doing some crowd work and talking to some fans, I'll, I'll get into it with on that um, and, you know, make some jokes with them there. So it's, it's really, really a fun way to get to interact with fans on my own. Um, you know, it, they're all great ways though. I love the other way too. I love the show. I love uh, doing the tour with the guys, but doing the stand-up, I've found a real love or being out there and having the responsibility on my, sh- my own shoulders to make sure that people are having a good time. And I've, Feel like I've risen to the challenge. Yeah, no, no question about it. How about the, how about the uh, the methodology in writing for one as a, as opposed to writing for a group? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, when you're the way we used to write the old show was everybody would just we'd start talking and find stories that happened, or we would tell stories that all involved all of us and we would just tell our point of view you know here there's only the single point of view it's mine so when i got down i started sitting down and writing i would just start i'm really a storyteller more than anything you know i have so many stories my life's been crazy so it's it's really fun to get up there and share my stories and then i tell the story and then i would sit down and think, okay how could i make this funnier and dive into like word choices and tags that i could add and it might be funnier to try this but then also just by telling the story a lot on stage i recorded every show so i would just improv some stuff and i go back and listen i listen to every show and if i said something funnier i'd use that the next time and it really has helped me build uh what i consider a pretty fun set uh, let me remind folks that are just tuning in a little late or turning on their radios late. Frank McKay here, just more importantly, though, is Joe Gatto. And you could see him on August 11th, and that's, uh, that's Thursday, August 11th, at the Clubhouse Hamptons in East Hampton. Everyone get there. Go to cannoliproductions.com, and, uh, and you can check out about meet and greets, and it, 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 should be, uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. Everyone knows Impractical Jokers and, and Joe from so many different things. Frank McKay here, much more importantly, Joe Gatto, get out and see him at the Clubhouse Hamptons in East Hampton. Uh, Joe, the the thing I love about you guys, and and you you work great together, but you're also using your platform, utilizing your platform to do other creative things. And I've had Murron quite a bit, and uh, and we talk about his books and his his outlets. Now you doing the the solo stand up, you know, there's just like there's a lot of ambition in that in, in that crew, and a lot of talent there. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of funny. But, uh, you know, it's it's an ambitious crew, right? You guys you guys have all of these, uh, these <laughs> other th- uh, thoughts and and maybe you don't get credit for this. And, and uh, I, but if you think about it, a lot of intellectual curiosity too, you guys are you're out there trying to uh, think of different things. And, uh, it, you know, this impractical jokers crowd uh, that following the tremendous following you have allows you guys to do a lot of things. Oh, the fan base is unbelievable. They've been so supportive in everything we've ever done, which is just such a great thing. Like you put in the work, you try to make people laugh. And then if you do it well, you know, people uh, appreciate you and come along for the ride. So, you know, I've done lots of stuff where, where the fans have come along. This past weekend, I was actually in Chicago at a uh, Comic-Con doing an anti-bullying panel with a company that I love to work with and, and advocating for them. And I had so many fans who came out to support, listened to the panel, took pictures and hung out with people. It was great. And then, you know, on creative projects, I have like the, the podcast I do with Steve Byrne called Two Cool Moms, uh, which is a lot of fun. And people have come across there and come to my YouTube channel to, to check that out. It's just been, it's been really fun to be able to try all these different creative things and know that you have the backing of people that you've dedicated your, you know, the past decade of your life to make laugh and they just come along to see what else you have in store. So I really, really, we're so appreciative for the fans. 
Let me let me ask you this. Uh, you know, you talk about starting out uh, seven years ago. Obviously, you, you have your well. That's you know, starting out big time, um, seven years ago. And when you uh, when when this all starts out, I'm sure you have some kind of expectations of what's going to happen. And, and I'm not even asking uh, did did you uh, uh, exceed the expectations, but how much different is this? Is is the success? Is the uh, is the outcome of this than what you would have anticipated when you first started? It's really, uh, really just kind of mind blowing when I, you know, you, you look back at it and it was, the, you know, four friends just trying to make each other laugh, have a good time. They took the pilot. We were like, great. They took the first episode and we we're like, OK, let's hope we had a second episode. <laughs> and that would have been great. You know, and now yeah. to be this, you know, part of this legacy of uh, you know, a comedy, a, a comedy franchise that is basically, we've seen children grow up into adulthood. It's so funny when I meet fans, people like I've been watching you since I was 10, you know, and there's these 22 year old kids that are just like, I grew up with them the same way I grew up with comedy and to be a part of their lives. And even more so to reach out and know that the biggest thing I think that we've all learned is that you were actually helping people deal with things in a way that you aren't just making people laugh. Like you are there to forget some of the trials and tribulations that life throws at people, be it family sickness, dealing with loss, dealing with jobs, dealing with anything, and just being able to be like, hey, here's a way just to laugh a little bit. And you really are impacting people's lives. So to be able to do that is just, I'm so great. You know, there's so much gratitude that goes into that for me because I grew up a fan of people. And to be somebody that has fans, it's, it's amazing. Joe, thanks a million for being here. We'll be talking about you as we let you go. Oh, amazing. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was a really great interview. I appreciate you. Thank you. And cannoliproductions.com. Cannoliproductions.com, everyone, is where to go. And uh, you can check out uh, Meet and Greet. Is, uh, meet and Greets are available. And, you know, so many fans of Impractical Jokers and Joe and, and Murr and all the guys. Uh, you, you know, I've had all of these guys on at, at different times, but... Check them out in the Clubhouse Hamptons in East Hampton. And, you know, uh, you know, get tickets at, again, cannoliproductions.com. And uh, check out Joe Gatto. And check him out live. Much different uh, doing things on your own than, than with the troupe. I mean, he said it himself. You only, you only have to do 25% of the work when you're uh, up there with the other three guys. But, uh, listen, I... You know, I, I respect these guys because they're constantly doing something. Murr is constantly putting out books. I mean, nonstop. Um, James, uh, you know, James Murray, uh, and you know, it's and and they're doing well. I mean, it's fiction. It's uh, it's different. It's completely different than what you would think he's putting out. And you know, they're using their base. They're using their fan base. Uh, using sounds like a terrible word, but I mean, they're utilizing. The, the people that are being supportive of them that want more from them and want to see more and and they're just getting out there in, in front and trying different things. Kudos to these guys. The Clubhouse Hamptons in East Hampton is where you could see them. August 11th, Thursday, August 11th. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. Joe Gatto has been our very special guest. You know him from Impractical Jokers. And uh, uh, check him out. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on... This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. 
uh, our very special guest today is going to bring up memories of domestic violence, and, and she brought so much awareness um, to a very serious issue. Back in 1989, uh, it, was, uh, it was not the subject that it was. It was certainly prevalent, and, but it was swept under the rug and so forth. Today, with coronavirus uh, being what it is, domestic violence is again on the rise, and it's a terrible situation. If, if you go to uh, Lorena Gallo, foundation uh, you'll see the wonderful work that they've been doing bringing awareness and raising funds and and so forth you might not recognize that name the way you would recognize the the former name the married name of Lorena Bobbitt and uh, she in 1989 was a victim of domestic violence of rape of abuse uh, of the worst kind uh, John Wayne, Wayne Bobbitt of course became famous because she uh, took matters into her own hand uh, so to speak and uh, before we get into all of that and everyone remembers that uh, the movie is I was Lorena Bobbitt is uh, is premiering on Memorial Day and I, I looking forward to seeing it and she's involved with it which is great it's always uh, it's always great when the subject is involved in it and you, you know it's going to get some uh, it, it's going to get some realism put in there but it's on lifetime and everyone has to see it Lorena Bobbitt Lorena Gallo how are you how are you thank you so very much for having me in your show I really appreciate it well, listen, thrilled to have you here. Are you going by Gallo at this point? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> well, listen, 1989 seems like an eternity ago, but I, you know, lost in this because it's been, you know, it's been mocked and it's been discussed and all the jokes and all the John Wayne Bobbitt jokes. I, the the one thing we we forget is it was about a very serious issue. It was domestic violence, and it was a woman standing up for herself to uh, a man who was abusing her, who was raping her, and we we forget that. Uh, is, uh, is is that an, am I giving you an accurate depiction of, uh, of of how you saw it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the story is basically uh, the media actually uh, took it the wrong way. They missed a big opportunity to actually uh, focus on domestic violence and sexual assault instead of actually uh, the me the wife who cut off my uh, ex-husband's penis. So um, actually it was sad. It was sad that, you know, to hear the jokes of comedian and, and society, society basically, I felt that it failed me, not only um, the the justice system, but society, the media uh, uh, failed me as well. So I think it's very important to understand the dynamics of domestic violence. And that's why I have done a documentary first last year, uh, Amazon Prime, and now with lifetime, I'm honored to actually have uh, to be able to uh, voice a platform to continue to to keep the awareness going against domestic violence and sexual assault. So this is this is an amazing platform. This is uh, the time to continue to tell my story. I feel that it is important to tell my story because uh, other victims of domestic violence can relate to the story. When I first came to this country, I was uh, my goal was to leave a true American dream, not to go from court to court to trial to trial. I mean, who wants to do that, right? I have learned over the years through everything that, that happened to me now, it is so important uh, to stay resilient. Um, I believe when people watch the movie and see me narrating through the film, that I, it truly shows that um, all of the things that happened to me, the horrible situations and abuse that I went at the hands of my abuser, um, ex-husband uh, John, uh, many people 
in an abusive relationship relationships can overcome to the same and escape the domestic abuse um i also uh, remember in the movie it shows that there is no uh vawa of the violence against the uh, women's act uh who can protect uh, women. There was no hotline. Uh, we're talking about 30 years ago when my case happened. So we have made significant progress uh, helping victims of domestic violence, but there's still much more work to do uh, to be done. And I'm honored again that Lifetime gave me the opportunity to tell my story again in this movie and in so many words to continue to help victims of domestic violence, like I said, um, through my organization, uh, Lorena Gallo Foundation. Actually, I became an advocate um, and to help people and uh, partner with uh, uh, we are going to continue to actually help uh, to figure out and find out the cure for this horrible epidemic of domestic violence. And silence, I believe silence is not an option. It was not an option for me because silence keeps victims trapped. Survivors need to get support in order to escape um, abusive relationships and to be heard in order to heal uh, like I have. To end the cycle of abuse, we must find found the courage to break our own silence. You know, you mentioned the, the media and the role that they played in this and the opportunity they really missed to uh, to get the the focus on domestic violence same thing happened in the oj simpson trial uh, a few years later uh, we we forgot with all the sensational uh, sensationalism that here is not only an abused wife but a murdered wife here and uh, and, uh, and ron goldman uh, her friend uh, dead, murdered, and you know, and again, uh, the jokes came out, and the uh, and the lightheartedness came out, and, and it turned into a circus and a show, and we forgot the the point. The point is that that this celebrity, um, yes, he was a celebrity, but he slaughtered his his ex wife, and he slaughtered this uh, this other uh, individual, and uh, and it was all started with domestic violence. I mean, did you did you watch the O.J. Simpson trial? Uh, carefully, yes. and did you uh, did you notice the, uh, the the similarities? Yes, absolutely, and it was very sad. Uh, that, you know, this is a very city, uh, serious situation and uh, very critical issues that happen, and not only in the United States. Every woman uh, died every fifteen um, is abused. I'm sorry, is abused every fifteen seconds in in their lifetime, and it's horrible that one out of three women are actually. Uh, are going to experience uh, horrendous uh, physical abuse and mental abuse in this country. So um, I think it's very important to understand the dynamics and the cycle, how domestic violence cycles work. And it's basically uh, education. I mean, you cannot ask a victim who is trapped in a domestic situation um, why you didn't leave or because it's not easy. It could be a cultural background. It could be religious background. It could be uh, just basically you, you're simply in love with, with a person and you wanted to work out your marriage. So it's basically a slap in the face when you ask somebody to why you just did not leave your marriage or why you just don't escape your, your situation is very difficult and also understand that for women after uh, have uh, trying to leave uh, the relationship is a very dangerous situation after a restraining order because their aggressors are even more abusers because they're mad they're upset that you are they find out that you're about to leave that's exactly what happened to me um, John abused me right after I told him that um, I wanted to have a divorce, I wanted to leave the house, I wanted to 
finish end my marriage. And so it's a, it's a very um, stressful situation and uh, women get killed. Do you, do you think, and, and I know other people are waiting to talk to you, so I won't keep you long, but in closing, uh, do you think your ex-husband, John Wayne Bobbitt, uh, could have been uh, capable of, of murdering you the same way that uh, Nicole Brown Simpson got murdered? Absolutely. I think that I, w I was the one of the lucky ones to actually escape uh, you know, this, this horrible domestic violence situation. Um, and uh, one of my the things that I do is uh, because I understand this. Uh, I'm sorry, situation, I, Elaine, I, I have to jump. Okay, because I, I have another live one in San Diego. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's yes. okay, yes. Lorena. Go Lorena, ahead. thank you I, very much. We'll continue without you. Thanks for being here. Thank Congratulations. You so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Lorena Bobbitt, everyone, and uh, if you go to the Lena, uh, Lorena Gallo Foundation. Uh, just uh, read up on the, the wonderful work that they're doing with, uh, with, regards to, with regards to domestic violence. And they are, uh, they are, they are uh, you know, attempting to make a very uh, uncomfortable situation a, a positive situation. And, and again, she's, she's absolutely right. It's, it, it was about domestic violence. And I, no question that the media was going to uh, run with it the way that she, she cut off her husband's penis. I mean, let's, you know, I, I un understand that that is going to be uh, late night fodder and, and jokes for, for everyone. I own nightclubs when this happens. So you can imagine uh, the, uh, the talk and the conversation around all of this. And, and that was the business I was in. And, uh, and, and when Lorena Bobbitt's name comes up, the cringe, the face that comes up on, on everyone because she cut off her husband's penis. And, and, uh, but at the, at the heart of it all, let's not forget that there's domestic violence and, uh, and rape, alleged rape. And what she, uh, what she's done afterwards and continued to do is she, she's bringing attention or she's attempting to bring more attention to a terrible situation, which is domestic violence. Something Nicole Brown Simpson unfortunately can't do uh, because she was sorted by her, her, uh, her ex-husband and uh, a tremendous uh, story here. And uh, hopefully we uh, we'll have her for a longer period of time at some point. But uh, I was Lorena Bobbitt was the is the name of the story on Lifetime. And you could watch that and you could uh, see that streaming uh, again. Lorena Bobbitt in 1989 uh, cut off John Wayne Bobbitt, her husband's penis. And uh, and, and again, it's uh, it's become legend. It's become uh, a, you know, a, a mocking uh, type conversation and people have joked and told jokes and everything else about it. But the one part that uh, that we have to take very seriously is is the domestic violence part. And, you know, a woman doesn't do that kind of situation um, without uh, without being provoked. And, and, you know, again, that's uh, that's not uh, the, the type of thing that you can imagine. I'd love to have him on. If he wants to dispute anything, he certainly uh, would love to have him on and give him that opportunity. But I was a Lorena Bobbitt. I was Lorena Bobbitt uh, is the name of the, the film. Uh, Lifetime is the, uh, is, is the network. And Lorena Gallo Foundation is her organization. Frank McKay signing off. Lorena Bobbitt has been our very special guest.
We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.